Today is the most revered day on the Christian calendar. It's the day we celebrate the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. For the last 14 weeks, I've been in a series entitled Unlikely Heroes, where we've been looking at the fact that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And many times he selects people that you just wouldn't expect to be people that he's going to use in an extraordinary way. We've looked at David and how he was the runt of the family, and we've looked at Gideon and how he was a fearful person, and we, we, we looked at Samson and we looked at uh, Elijah and uh, all of these people. It's just been incredible to see their story, how they were just ordinary, but God really did some great things through them. And then two weeks ago, I introduced the, the, our greatest hero, Jesus Christ, and just talking about the fact that Jesus is our ultimate hero, 100% God, 100% man. Two weeks ago, we talked about the humanity of Jesus and the fact that he was just like you and me. Uh, in, in his humanity, uh, he, he was the way you and I are. He gets hungry. He got, he got thirsty. He got, he got hot when he was out in the sun. He laughed. He cried. He, he worked a day job. He, he, he worked as a carpenter. He hung out with his friends. He, he went to parties. He went to weddings. And uh, he was just like you and me. And then last week, I talked about the fact, but he was also the eternal God. He's the one that spoke the world into existence. He formed the mountains. He hung the stars. He made water wet and created the fishes that would swim in them. And then at the age of 30, Jesus performed his first miracle on earth as, as a man. Uh, he turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana in Galilee. And that began a three-year ministry of many, many miracles. And last Sunday, we looked at these numerous miracles and the, the fact that Jesus did these things in front of thousands of eyewitnesses to bear, bear truth the fact that, that Jesus was and is God in the flesh. Today, we're going to look here in Mark chapter 9, and we're going to read the story about Moses and Elijah. Uh, they met uh, Jesus on this mount, the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John got to go and see Jesus as he was glorified. His, his clothing just become brighter white than anyone had ever seen before. And then the voice of God the Father spoke and said in Mark 9, 7, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And then they come down from the mount, and, and uh, shortly after this, a, a man brought his son to Jesus, who had had a demon uh, take over this child, and it, and it caused the child so the child couldn't speak. And this demon did uh, just plague this child for, for so much of his young life, throwing him into fires and throwing him into ponds and rivers and streams to drown him, causing convulsions and foaming at the mouth and this little child just went through so much and his father just brought him to Jesus and asked him to heal him or deliver him. And uh, Jesus cast this demon out and this young child was delivered. And it was an incredible thing. And then, and then Jesus uh, began to, to talk to his disciples. That's where I want to pick up the story in Mark chapter 9, verse 30. It says, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Well, let's pray as we get started this morning. God, as we open up your word today, I pray that you would speak to us. 
Father, these good folks have come to hear from you today. May I fade into the background, and God, as we read your word, may your Holy Spirit just speak to hearts and open our eyes and ears to the truth that you'd, you'd have them to receive. Uh, Father, we lift up the name of Jesus on this Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection. Uh, God, we glorify you, and, and uh, Father, may everything we do just bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So... Though the disciples didn't fully understand what he was saying, Jesus here made this shocking proclamation that he was going to be killed by men, but then he would rise from the dead three days later. Now the disciples, they, they just didn't understand. They didn't know what he was talking about. They couldn't comprehend this. Though so they'd been traveling with him for, for years now, sometimes he would say things they didn't understand and they just didn't bother to ask. Even after the crucifixion, it never dawned on them that Jesus had risen from the dead. It just, it just didn't pop into their minds so that when Jesus was crucified and put into the tomb, you know, and then, and then when Mary went to find him and the tomb was empty, they were dumbfounded. They're like, well, what happened here? We pick it up in John chapter 20, verse one. Early in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Now understand, Mary Magdalene, she'd been traveling with Jesus. Uh, she'd been part of the group that was going with him. She was there at the mock trial of Jesus. She was there when Pontius Pilate pronounced the death sentence. She saw Jesus beaten and humiliated by the crowds. She was one of the women that went and stood near Jesus during the crucifixion and tried to bring comfort to him. She had spent plenty of time with Jesus prior to the crucifixion. Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. She had seen the power of Jesus on display. And yet, when she went and found the tomb empty, she did not assume a resurrection. She assumed that someone had stolen his body. So her first inclination was that somebody just moved, just moved him. Not that he had come back to life, at least... That's what she said to Peter and the other disciples. She said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So what did the disciples do? Pick it up in verse three. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Look at this. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. I think it's important to notice what they did not do. They didn't leave the tomb, run out into the streets and say, he's risen. I knew it. I knew he was going to rise. He said he was going to rise and he did rise. He's got to be around here somewhere. They didn't say that because they, that's not what they believed. They didn't know what had happened to him. So they went back to their hiding place. They went back and locked the doors behind them. They were stumped. They were confused. They didn't understand. They were afraid. You know, maybe you can relate. Maybe this resurrection thing has you a little stumped and confused as well. And if so, it's understandable. It's, it was tough for those that were closest to Jesus to wrap their head around it at first as well. 
Maybe you're the kind of person that you're willing to accept the fact that Jesus was a historical person. Most people are willing to accept that, that he really was a real person. Perhaps you're willing to acknowledge that he said some good things. Uh, maybe you believe that he lived a lifestyle that we should emulate. But rising from the dead, well, maybe that's kind of hard for you to believe. And if, if that's where you're at this morning, just know that you're in good company because the disciples had a hard time believing as well. So what happened next? Pick it up in verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I mean, can you imagine the flurry of emotions that the disciples have, have gone through? Deep sorrow. I mean, their friend, Jesus, had been crucified and was dead. They were experiencing loss and grief and fear, probably feeling hopeless. And then Jesus appeared and it changed everything. The text says that they rejoiced, they were overjoyed. I mean, can you even begin to imagine how exciting this must have been for them? It was the most incredible miracle that has ever been performed. In Luke's gospel, it's recorded that he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead in the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus, looking at his disciples, says, you're witnesses of these things. And they were witnesses to the miracle that changed the world. They were witnesses to the event that launched the church. They were witnesses to the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. They were witnesses to the birth of Christianity. There were no Christians prior to this moment. They, they, you know, they were the ones who got to see it all start. The resurrection is the fulcrum upon what the rest of Christianity rests. And they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Our faith is based on their eyewitness accounts as recorded in the word of God. We're here today because they saw what they saw and they recorded it in God's word so that you and I could hear about it. I didn't see the resurrection. You didn't see the resurrection. They saw it. They wrote about it and we believe it because it's in God's word. Matthew, Matthew was an eyewitness and he documented what he saw in the word of God. Mark spent time with Peter and he heard firsthand accounts and he believed that Jesus rose from the dead. He wrote about it. Luke thoroughly investigated the matter, interviewed many eyewitnesses before writing his gospel. John was one of the disciples that went and found the tomb empty, and he wrote a detailed account of his experience. Peter believed and became a vocal part of the New Testament church. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he believed. The apostle Paul believed that Jesus rose from the dead, and he preached about it until the day they chopped his head off. The foundation of the Christian faith is this extraordinary event that was witnessed by hundreds and thousands of people who then carefully wrote down what they saw firsthand. And you see, this extraordinary event has profound implications for your life, for your purpose, for your dreams, for your future. If you were to ask Peter, What's the foundation of your faith? He 
wouldn't say, well, the birth of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus or the parables of Jesus or the miracles of Jesus or even the crucifixion of Jesus, as important as all of those things are. He would say, my hope and my faith is built upon the resurrection of Jesus. You say, well, how do you know that, preacher? Well, it's because that's what he said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Our hope comes through the resurrection. Peter's faith wasn't in an imaginary God who doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. So if you've lost your faith in God because of the evil in the world or because something bad has happened to you or something bad has happened to someone in your life or one of your friends, if you've lost faith in God because you see the suffering that's in the world, I want to invite you to reconsider. Our faith isn't built upon an imaginary God that doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. Our faith is built upon the fact that Jesus Christ predicted his own death and then rose from the dead. That's what our faith is built on. The men and the women who saw and knew Jesus best, who saw his pain and suffering, they believed. And here's why. Because they saw the most horrible things happen to the best person that they ever knew. And they believed anyway. They believed anyway. Their faith was in the God that was introduced to them by Jesus, the God who invites you and me to have a relationship with him, the God that we say, Heavenly Father. It wasn't just the teaching of Jesus, it was the resurrection of Jesus that completely reframed all of Peter's life. And that invitation is available for you this Easter Sunday. I encourage you to allow the resurrection of Jesus Christ to reframe your worldview and how you see life as well. Did you know that after the resurrection that Jesus spent an additional 40 days on earth before he went to heaven? And he used that time to teach his disciples, spend time with them, comfort them, encourage them, and, and kind of set the course of what they were to do. When we get to the book of Acts, chapter number one, let's begin reading in verse seven. And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The last thing Jesus told his church to do before he ascended to heaven is to go and bear witness to what they had seen and experienced about Christ and take that gospel to the ends of the earth. And my friends, that's why we started Venture Church six years ago. That's why we do the things that we do Everything we do is in fulfillment of the great commission that Jesus gave here and other places in the New Testament where he said we are to take this good news, this gospel, to the ends of the earth. And he said, Jesus is coming back. This same Jesus that rose from the dead 
is coming back bodily in his human flesh to the earth to set things in order. When the time is right, when the fullness of time has come, Christ will come for his church, his bride. This is also you know, a, you know, a, you know, a time we call the blessed hope, the glorious return of Christ. And then Jesus will assume his rightful position as the Messiah, the King of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords will bring judgment and wrath upon the unrepentant sinners, those who rejected his grace, his mercy, and his love. There will be a period of intensifying troubles and tribulation and difficulty that's poured out upon the earth in a fury that this world has never seen. There'll be wars and rumors of war. There'll be famines and pestilence. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not shine. The stars will fall from the sky. Wild beasts will roam the earth, killing those who embraced evil. Death and destruction will be everywhere. The Antichrist will lead a revolt against Christ, who then Christ will bind him and put him in hell for a thousand years. And then Jesus will rightfully take his place and establish a 1,000-year time of peace on this earth. This is known as the millennium, the millennial reign of Christ. Christ will rule and reign right here on this earth. And those who put their faith in Christ, you and I that have accepted Christ, will, will go to heaven, we'll have the marriage supper of the Lamb, and, and uh, then we'll return with Christ in this millennial kingdom. And we'll spend a thousand years, it'll be like a thousand years living in the Garden of Eden. Scripture tells us that the lion will lay down with the lamb. There'll be no death, there'll be no fear, there'll be no pain, there'll be no de disease. There'll be mountains of tortilla chips and rivers of salsa. <laughs> At least it is in my mind. That's how I envision it. Honestly, I don't think there's a way that we can describe how wonderful the millennium will be. But at the end of the millennium, there'll be another final battle when Christ forever banishes Satan to the lake of fire. And then it says that there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And I believe those of us who are followers of Christ will probably be able to go between those three places. You and I cannot even comprehend the splendors of heaven and what that is going to be like. We know this because Jesus told his disciples this. He taught them that he was coming back and he taught them about heaven and, and he told them these things and they wrote it down so that you and I have it in the word of God so that we can know these things. And I want to encourage you that Jesus is indeed coming back. But just as the disciples had a hard time wrapping their head around the resurrection. Many people today have a hard time wrapping their head around the fact that Jesus will actually return. They say, well, it's been 2,000 years. Is he ever going to come back? He's patient. And in his time, in the fullness of time, he will come. You must believe that. He will return to this earth. It's as certain as any other prophecy in the Bible. And there were hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that came true just as they were prophesied in scripture and there are still some remaining and those will be fulfilled. The return of Christ is predicted in each of the four gospels. It's predicted in the book of Acts and the epistles of Paul and James and Peter. Uh, John spent the entire book of Revelation talking about the return of Christ. And my friends, I believe that we are living in the final days before Christ's return. No one knows the day or the hour. I don't, nobody else does. And if they tell you they do, they don't. 
But I can tell you the climate is becoming more and more ripe for his return. Writing to the church in Thessalonica, Paul wrote this. He said, now brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we don't need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. As we continue to see the deterioration of society today and the sinfulness of man as it seems to just go to new extremes, we must recognize this darkness for what it is and we must be ready for the return of Christ. I don't think things are going to get better and better until Christ returns. I think we're going to go into a period of rapid moral decline. I think we'll see escalating violence and increasing lawlessness. There'll be additional murders and shootings and beatings. In general, people will be abandoning the ways of God. They'll disregard the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule. They'll ignore the Bible and disregard the church. It's going to be a sad time. And it may be upon us. I don't know for sure, but it sure seems as if this is where we're at today. The Apostle Paul described it this way, 2 Timothy 3.1. He said, but mark this, know this, pay attention to this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Even a blind man can see that these days are upon us. Society is in a moral freefall. And without a supernatural move of God, things will likely only get worse. But until Christ returns, there is hope. And we must double our efforts to share and spread the gospel to the very ends of the earth. We, as brothers and sisters in Christ, must stand together in these last days. We are called to be light. We are called to be dispensers of hope. The resurrection makes it clear that even in the darkest of days that God is on the move, and just when you think that all hope is lost, Jesus steps out in victory, amen? amen. So in this Easter Sunday morning, I can think of no greater time for you and I to recommit our lives to Christ and the purpose for which he called us, the purpose for which uh, he, he gave us the great commission that we are to take the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, what the eyewitnesses recorded in the word of God were to share it with every man, woman, and child. We're to embrace the calling that God has given us as a church to be witnesses in this world. Until Jesus comes, we must be faithful. We must be vigilant. We must go and do what he left us to do. My friends, today we celebrate the resurrection. And I ask you, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Are you a believer? So what am I supposed to believe in? Well, do you, do you, believe, do you believe in the miraculous birth? Do you believe Jesus was born of a virgin? 
Do you believe in his sinless life that never one time did Jesus commit a sin, break the law, or do anything wrong? Do you believe in his sacrificial death that he became our substitute when he hung on the cross? That he paid a price that he didn't know because we owed a debt that we couldn't pay? Do you believe that Jesus Christ hung on the cross to pay for your sin? Do you believe that he was buried and he was put into a tomb for three days? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead after three days, proving that he was God? Do you believe that he ascended to heaven and is one day returning? You see, when you say, are you a believer? That's what you believe. You believe what Jesus Christ said and did. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, can I just ask you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What, what more evidence do you need? Thousands of eyewitnesses saw the miracles of Jesus. Thousands of eyewitnesses witnessed the resurrection of Jesus and saw Jesus walking on the earth after he'd been crucified and put into a grave. And we have the revelation in the word of God. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, my encouragement to you is before you put your head in your pillow tonight, cry out to Jesus and ask him to save you. Put your faith and your trust in him. Not in religion, not in church. It has nothing to do with religion and church. It has to do with the relationship with Jesus Christ, whether you believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he died for your sins. If you're here this morning, you say, well, you know what, preacher, I put my faith in Christ many years ago, but if I was to be honest, I've kind of wandered. I've kind of gotten off the path. I've kind of drifted. Can I encourage you? You know, we're all prone to wander. Like sheep, we're prone to wander. Get off the beaten path, get, 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 just kind of fall away. Can I encourage you on this Resurrection Sunday? It's a time to come back. Why don't you just... Tell God, you know what, I'm sorry. I've wandered and I'm not doing what I should be doing and, and, and I know it and, and, and I want to come back and I want to I recommit my life to you. So if that's you this morning, maybe just today you just want to recommit your life to Christ and his purpose and you want to be a part of what he wants us to do as a church in these last days. As we wrap things up here this morning, I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I'm going to I'm going to pause and give you a few moments of quiet, personal prayer time. And if God has spoken to you in any way this morning, just tell him and talk to him about what he said to you. And if you're here this morning, maybe God didn't speak to you this morning, but you just want to take these few moments and just thank him for the resurrection and for the crucifixion and all that Jesus has done. Let's, let's just take a few moments of quiet, personal prayer, and then I'll close this. Father, we come before you today and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he was willing to come to this earth and live a sinless life, to die a painful death on Calvary's cross as our substitute. Father, we believe this morning that 
Jesus Christ rose from the dead, proving that he was indeed God. Father, we believe that Jesus rose again and we believe that he's coming back and he'll return to this earth one day. And God, I pray that we, the people in this room, those watching us, those who are part of this family, God, that we'll be faithful to do what Jesus left the church to do just before he ascended. May we take the gospel to every man, woman, and child on this planet. May we be faithful to the commission that you've given us. May we be faithful to the calling that's upon us. God, may you use us to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that in these final days before the Lord's return, that God, you would spark a movement here in Southwest Florida. And God, that we would just be a small part of what you're doing throughout this land. So God, we come before you this morning and we just praise you and worship you. And God, may we be found faithful until the moment that you call us to be with you for eternity. Father, we love you and we praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen and amen. We're going to sing our final song this morning, and then we're going to go out and we're going to watch the kids uh, get their Easter eggs. Make sure that you stop by the, the photo booth and get a picture of your family, and uh, it'll be a great uh, remembrance of today. Let's all stand as we sing.